This is the Cultural Quarter of an Hour podcast and I'm Charlotte Foster. Every week we'll be looking at the culture all around Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. Some weeks I'll be visiting events, others I'll be hearing the stories of the people who make this area what it is. Now, when you think of culture, you might just think of dusty museums, art galleries full of paintings or people in ball gowns playing violins. But actually, it's so much more than that. It's all around us. I'm holding a shell. And it's the sort of shell, a conch, that um, our mums used to have around in the bathroom as decoration or out in the garden in the flower beds. Um, but the conch has been used for tens of thousands of years um, in order to to the sound calls people to ceremony, calls people to ritual. It's been used in shamanic healing. Today I have come to the Chiron Institute in Stoke. You will know the building. It's the old Stoke Library. Beautiful building, the one with the round windows. I was left empty for such a long time, but now the Chiron Institute has arrived. And with me are John and June, who run the Chiron Institute. First of all, John, you're going to explain to me exactly why it is called the Chiron Institute. Right. Chiron is a very important character for us. In mythology, Chiron was a, was a minor god. He was a, a satire, half man, half horse. Um, but he, he was a healer, which was very unusual for his kind. And um, he fell out with everybody. And the gods took away his immortality. And, uh, and he was mortally wounded. But while he was being a healer, the, the, the wounding made him more empathetic with people that he was treating. So he learnt to find a greater connection with his healing. Um, and uh, the wounded healer, is, as he is known, is, is really important in the, in the healing world. Uh, and he got, he, he, he got better, <laughs> but only when he had learnt a lot of lessons. How would you describe this area? It's a, our gong chamber, our sound chamber, and it's the main hall of the library. And all around the walls of the, of the hall we have our stands with gongs hanging, and there are gongs of all shapes and sizes and from all over the world. How many have you got hanging up at the moment? I think there's about 45 hanging up. Not hanging up? Uh, We've got some more in the back room. (laughs) We've got 53 altogether, I think. And so what happens in here? Is it a case of banging a gong? Well, people come in and we invite them. Uh, Most of the time they lie on the floor on yoga mats. We make them comfortable with pillows and um, and blankets and then we we use a little bit of um, uh, speech to bring people into a, a relaxed and comfortable place and then we we create a soundscape that fills the whole of the room um, and that's the magic it's a soundscape that takes people into different places do the gongs mean different things represent different things yes um well, looking around. Well, we're standing o- over here. Um, a lot of the gongs have an icon on them, and that represents a planet. So there's, there's, there's um, um, a scientist that actually has worked out a tuning for each planet, dependent on their spin or on their orbit, and that each of these gongs is tuned to that note. So once we've got um, a, a meaning for the gong, we can use that 
almost in a musical sense. We know what the note is and we can use the sound from it. Um, we can also use the, um, the narrative um, because most planets are named after gods or goddesses and we can use the narrative associated with those um, because our subconscious works with, with, with narrative and works with symbolism. Um, so it's a, a very shortcut way of getting into things. So we do have a full set of planet gongs. So we have a, a gong here for every planet. Um, so we can, we do some sessions that we call cosmic sessions, uh, where we actually go out through the solar system and back again in a session. So we will play all of the planets. So some of the sessions are really, do feel like they're much more in outer space. And it, they, if you listen to the, the NASA um, website they actually have some recordings of the planets the sounds that the planets actually make and they are surprisingly similar to the sounds that the gongs make we were talking a little bit earlier about how sound is such an important sense why is it so important uh, well if you think if you think about it just on an external level if if you go back back and back in time we had a very different relationship with sound we read our landscape and our lives um, were, were really governed by sounds we were listening we were keyed to listening to, to sounds and to interpreting our environment through sound um, if we heard a, a rustling in the bushes it could be food or it could be you know sort of prey uh, for we we could be the, the food source so it was really important to understand how to read our environment through sound nowadays we live in an environment where we spend most of our time trying to screen out the extraneous sound we are barraged by sounds of all sorts and it's a stress and it's an interference and we long for some peace and quiet with no sound at all um, very often we go home and we put we put the radio on we put the you know we put music on we put the tv on we're very we have a very different relationship with sound um, when you come in here um, it's very different we create a context a much more sacred context a healing context to to listen to receive and to experience sound and if you think about um the our first experience when we're when we're growing in in the womb the the first sense to develop is the is our ears the sense of sound and we, be, we begin by hearing our mother's heartbeat. We hear her blood circulating. We've got that beautiful safe space within which the sounds are happening around us, through us. Very different experience. And if we have a natural death, the, uh, our sound, the sense of, of, of um, hearing is the last sense to go. So it, it really puts a context of a very important context on what sound, how important sound is to us.
this might sound like a very strange question, and I'm not sure if it is. How do you learn how to play the gongs? Well, there's several levels to it. I mean, you, you learn, you're taught how to create a sound and how to create different sounds from a gong. Um, but at the same time, you need to learn how to feel the gong and feel the energy and feel what's coming away from it. Easy to to create and generate a sound with a gong. It is as simple as striking the gong. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's a very easy um, sort of way to, to to work to generate sounds. But the way we work with these sounds, there's a, a huge amount of intention um, that that actually channels the. Um, the sounds in a different way so we're working very intuitively to create the soundscape we don't orchestrate we don't rehearse we don't have any idea john and i um, do work together in this uh, in this space when we're doing a sound bath the majority of sound baths we will both be playing together so we can create an immensely rich soundscape um, but we aren't watching the other we are working entirely uh, on that level of intuition. One of the other major tools that we use um, are the Himalayan singing bowls. And singing bowls have been um, around for between 1,500 and 2,000 years. Um, and they started off in the pre-Buddhist area of, of southern China and northern India. Um, and we know that the people who used them first used them in healing. They've left records to, to, to indicate that. And, and then um, Buddhism took on the bowl as a, as a, a tool for meditation. Um, and it's a very profound tool to use. It's also very portable. You can carry it around instead of a gong. started to do our own research our own studies and we know that um, the majority of people who come go away with an increased feeling of well-being um, and then there are individual stories of people who come and go away out of pain. How did you get involved and why did you get involved? Right well I've, um, June's been a, a um, holistic a, a complementary therapist for 30 odd years and I was a mainstream clinician uh, so I was the other side of the fence. Um, but June bought me a birthday present, which was um, to go to a gong bath. And I had no idea, in fact, I didn't even know what we were going to until we walked in through the door. Uh, I certainly had no idea what that meant. Um, but that first time for me had such a profound effect that, um, I, what were my first words? I've got to have a gong. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it really grew from there. Do you encounter any resistance coming from a, a, a clinical side to a, a, a therapy that is, a, some people would say, hippie, new age, no basis in science? Well, actually, the, the only resistance there was was from me. <laughs> um, it, it took me a little while to to um, to come to terms with all the things I was I was finding and doing. But the thing, the, the convincing thing for me was watching people go away, having had the benefit and, and seeming so much better. Um, people I've talked about in, in my sort of evidence-driven world were actually just more curious. They weren't judgmental in any way. 
as, as well as the work we do with with the group sessions and with um, uh, individual um, sessions, um, we also wanted to make this a centre of excellence in learning. And to that effect, we've invited um, people who we know who are, who are the world leaders in training, um, and to come and hold workshops and masterclasses here. And we have students coming from America, Spain, Germany, Portugal, um, Denmark, Austria, <laughs> uh, all over the world. Um, and, uh, and and that's a reputation which is really. Um, it's really good to to know that people will travel um, in and order to learn. Leaders in our field really, really love to come here to teach, um, and when they come here, they really love the area. They love being here. Other people that come here, they go off and and visit Trentham Gardens, and they, you know, they, they while they're here for maybe a long weekend or a week, you know, they they're actually getting a feel for Stoke as well. And we do we usually do a community concert when when we're doing training, so they're getting to meet the people. Um, so it's a wonderful exchange, um, and and I have to say that I do feel even the world leaders in our field who are who are teaching, you know, sort of in all the most amazing places um really love to come here and it's it is a very different place that they come to when they come to stoke but they don't go away feeling that they've been to a you know really deprived um area impoverished sort of area they they, they look forward to coming again you mentioned that people are coming to to stoke you could have taken this anywhere in the in the country really why did you choose stoke-on-trent it was our challenge because we we could have gone somewhere where there's a much wider interest in this. We could have gone somewhere where um, the, the the alternative f- your field is is more popular. But we live in Stoke, and we wanted to to um, dig where we stand, as they say, and do what we do here and help the people around us. Um, that seems a very important thing. We we are dealing with. We feel we're dealing with magic. We feel that we we're, we're dealing with. Um, manifesting potential and you know we really do believe that you've got to walk your talk and if Stoke on the surface seemed like a challenge um, then that really shouldn't phase us because if we're if we're able to manifest we've manifested all this you know you've only got to look uh, to come here and to look and to feel what we've manifested and what we've built here to see the magic in action but but we the work that we do is about not just in material things but actually manifesting that change and transformation and that fulfillment of 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 personal and human potential and that's what we're doing so in many respects it really didn't matter that Stoke was in inverted commas a challenge because if you can manifest it in in a place that it where it's really already known and received you can manifest it anywhere so why not do that in a place where you live the people are wonderful you know this and there's so much happening now in Stoke it's really feels like uh, things things are starting to buzz but we also feel that we've been here 18 months and that the vibrations we are generating here are actually supporting that at a very unseen level.
have to say a really big thank you to both June and John for being so patient with me and spending so much time explaining everything they do at the old library in Stoke, the uh, Chiron Centre, as it is known now. So much extra stuff that I got, uh, loads of photos and some videos as well. I'll be posting those up on uh, social media and you can uh, catch up with those uh, there. So the Twitter handle, that is at CQHpod. And if you want to find me on Facebook, it is Cultural Quarter of an Hour. Also, a great way of getting in touch with me is social media as well. Please do get in touch. So many of you are, and I really do appreciate that as well. You may have noticed that um, I put out a post this week on Twitter and on Facebook to say that we've reached more than 400 listens to this little podcast of ours. And uh, just want to say again, huge thank you to everyone who's got involved everyone who has had a listen and and any feedback you know brilliant stuff really do appreciate it um hopefully we'll keep going for a lot longer but i just feel like 400 listens just felt like a bit of a uh, bit of a milestone that i really wanted to mark and just say thank you to everyone for for getting involved like i say twitter at cqh pod facebook the cultural quarter of an hour podcast that's where you can find me that's where you can get in touch please please do and uh, don't forget download the podcast every wednesday